0: Welcome to The kickpod Pod, your weekly D&M on the stuff that matters.
1: Hey, Lawsy.
0: Hello. Good afternoon. We've been doing these in the afternoon yes, lately. I feel like usually we always said good morning. Ah, yes. Yes. No. How are you today? <laughs> I'm, I'm good. I am... Um, I have a confession. What's your confession? You already know this, but last night I was oh, cutting yes. I was I was <laughs> I was cutting Bill. Um, I have a golden retriever called Bill and I was cutting his toenails and Dolson said to me, Laura, be careful because if you cut too high, it cuts into their actual nerve and it will yeah. hurt him so much. Yeah. And I was like, Of course I'm careful. Literally I'd done two nails before that, then told me that, and then I wasn't careful, and then I cut it, oh my God, and he yelped, and it, there was blood everywhere, and i was I was full <sighs> crying for two hours, oh my god, I just it broke my absolute heart last of course night. like it I did. just couldn't believe yeah. that I heard him. I was googling the whole night like does your dog still love you if you cut their fingernail off, <sighs> and then I was <laughs> swear to god then I was googling like um if a dog yelps like do they ever love their owner again how to regain your dog's trust like how to approach your dog after you hurt
2: oh my god Laura I step on Ari's foot probably twice a week and he yelps and
0: he still loves me you're fine anyway but he's yeah he's fine today but yeah that's how I am I'm still thinking about how are you
2: (laughs) I'm all right. I feel like the weekend got away from me. Um, I feel like some of the weekends in isolation have been really slow because they just really kind of... I mean, other than, you know, clocking off for work, they they haven't really felt any different to the rest of the week. Whereas this weekend, I still had some stuff I had to get done. And so I just feel like it flew by and it's like Monday again. I feel like the year is flying by. But anyway, I'm good though. I'm in a good mood. It was a nice day today. That always brings my mood up.
0: Yeah, it's still the day also. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> it's 3.49. Good, good. good on you. What is your uh, kick
2: special share? I hope it's not cutting off your own dog's toenail.
0: Steph. Yeah. Why, why would it be that? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> my special share is a movie mm-hmm. that is called Lion which okay. everyone would have heard, it, heard of it of yes. it and um Michelle from shameless actually recommended it to Michelle Andrews a few weeks ago on the podcast and I listened to it before I listened to it I'd watched it before and so I was like oh yeah I remember that movie but you know when one person tells you you're like oh like obviously Michelle love your recommendations like it's not that I don't love them but you listen you're like oh I should do that but then until you kind of see it again you don't actually do it. And my Netflix, yes, kept saying, you should watch this. You should watch this. And I was like, it's a sign. I've had all these signs and I watch it and it just makes you feel so happy. And like, it just gives you all the feels. It was just really just beautiful movie, beautiful ending. Um, then I watched another movie after that. And I think I loved Lion even more and I can't remember what it's called. So I don't know why I'm telling you this, but after I finished the movie, the, and the next one had the worst ending I've ever experienced. So it just made me love and appreciate Lion even more. Anyway, what is yours? Thank you for sharing.
2: Mine is actually a song I shared in the KIT community this week that I randomly came across. I was just playing one of those um, random playlists that um, people have been making for working at home, and it was by Anne-Marie, which I had not heard the song before, but once I popped it in the community, there was quite a few um, of the people in our community saying, oh, my God, I love this song, or I've seen her live. She's amazing. So I don't know if I've been living under a rock, but I had never heard the song, and it's called Perfect To Me, and I just loved it I think every woman out there needs to go and listen to this song um I mean guys too and just listen to the lyrics it's so special and it was just a really nice song to have on after I listened to it once I played it like three more times
0: (laughs) yeah you sent it to me I loved it that was so nice I was like oh this is a special treat getting sent a song to listen to (laughs) I thought you'd like it. Thank you. I did. Thank you for your recommendation. So now for today's podcast. And we have to say that today is one of the most special podcasts we have ever done with one of the most inspirational women. We've been lucky enough to get to chat to over our time recording this podcast. Today's guest is Natalie Fornasia. She's 26 years old and currently fighting stage four cancer. She's an incredible writer and a columnist, as well as being the ambassador and inspiration for the very powerful initiative that is Call Time on Melanoma. And that's wisdom, message and words of advice are ones that we hope you can hold on to and take something from, just as we did. Nat, thank you so much for joining us. We are both such big fans of you and we are so honoured to have you on the podcast. Thank you so
1: much for having me. Honestly, when um, you messaged me, Laura, to ask if I wanted to be on, I was like, oh my God. I got really excited. <laughs> I was like, oh, nice. so nice. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we, we are so, yeah, so excited to have you. We wanted to start by asking, how are you um, and how are you doing during this
1: time? Thanks. Um, I'm okay. Not going to lie, it's been pretty, it's been different because um, to be honest, my life has kind of been like what you live now, it's like being socially isolated. I've lived this way for a little while. So that part is not essentially different for me. I think what's really hard, though, is for cancer patients, the outside world is our distraction. And so just being like able to be free outside and just being able to do whatever we want to get that, you know, little bit of respite and having that being taken away from us because being outside is actually quite dangerous. That's the part that I think is like very hard for me to wrap my head around. Because, like, even me just going to get a blood test, it's not as simple as me just walking down to the street anymore. It requires me wearing a mask. It's Alexander telling me every five seconds, move to the side. Like, there's all these <laughs> kind of things that I've got to think about, which is a lot. So, yeah, it's, um, it's different. But I think everyone just needs to remember that it's not forever forever. And I think that's what's really important is that this isn't gonna be our lives forever. It's just a moment in time. And, but yeah, I'm doing okay. Like in the scheme of everything, I'm doing as best as I can. How are you guys? <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> that's very nice of you to ask. I'm glad. I'm glad you're doing okay. Thank you. Um, that's good to hear. And I really liked your message on. You know, it's just a moment in yeah. time. It's it's not going to be forever. It's a nice way to think of it, I suppose. Um, we're doing all right. We're just getting through. <laughs> you know, I think that like everyone, there's there's ups and yeah and down days and. Some days we think you're totally fine and then the back of your mind is like, no, you're not, yep, which is completely normal. <laughs> so we want to take a step back in yes. time to a little bit about your upbringing. If you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, um, maybe everything leading up to and prior to the moment
1: of your top deck careers. Yeah, Well, I guess I was just an ordinary, naive 20-year-old, I think, <laughs> like most of us are. Um, my childhood was full of technicolour. Um, it was very loud, full of food, a lot of loving and laughs, which is fantastic. Um, I have a lot of my memories revolve around my brother cause he was really naughty and, but he never got in trouble. Like he always got away with it. Um, cause my mum just didn't have the heart in her to like, you know, get mad at him. She'd actually like kind of praise him cause the things that he did was just too clever. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So, yeah, lots of love, lots of laughs. Um, I'm very much a daddy's girl, so, like, I have a really great relationship with my dad. Um, but, yeah, I was just, like, you know, ordinary, high school, all of it, the normal stuff, you know, that I think in, at 20 that and, like, or earlier that you go through, especially in your late teens, the normal issues, body image, all that kind of stuff um but then yeah my defining moment happened when I was overseas and I guess that's really the moment that pinpoints where my whole life changed and that you also studied before we get
0: into that I'd love yeah. for you to talk about your your love for writing and your oh, yeah um, you studied
1: journal you so you, when you finished high school you went into a journalism degree no. So actually what happened is I've like, feel like I've been at uni my whole life. <laughs> um, I finished high school and I went straight to a degree. Um, oh my God, I can't even remember the name of it now. It was like a global economics degree that was not for me. But um, yeah. And so I ended up studying that and I didn't like it. So I put that on pause and I switched to a Bachelor of Arts where I started to get into, I just started studying English and I started uh, studying Asian history. And then I got sick. So essentially I went back when I had a period of time where I was okay. I went to study what I found out really was my passion, which was journalism. And I'm still in the middle of that. I'll get that done one day, Um, but it's okay. (laughs) But yeah, I love writing. Writing is my thing. And I can't believe it took me like a little while to like turn around and be like, I actually want to make this my career, which I think is what happens with a lot of people. It's just the way we get to what we want to be. It just, you know, you got to navigate it. You never but I'm so jealous of the people who wake up one morning and just like, I know what I want to be like. That's <laughs> totally. amazing. But that did not happen with me. It took a little while to get there.
0: <laughs> Oh, absolutely. I think it's at school we're told that you kind of should know exactly what you want to do when you're gonna get yeah. the job and then you're just gonna stay in it forever and it's obviously it's not the case at all for so many of us. So it's it's so nice you speak so openly about that, Nat.
1: Yeah, no, it definitely took time. And I think for me even it was actually quite hard because my mum my mum's a teacher, and so she was pretty much straight away being like, use your ATAR, because I got a, I was did pretty well. And she was like, use your ATAR to get into a really good course. And it was actually like the worst advice for someone like me that could have been given because I had no idea what I wanted to do. And so I was like, okay, so I did that. And I really hated my, what I went into. I was like, this is so not me. So yeah, it takes time. And I think we really should take that pressure off the fresh 18 year olds because that's not fun. (laughs) No one knows what they want to be when they're 18. (laughs) Like no one
0: Oh, absolutely. I agree. I did exactly the same thing. Um, So I feel you. And can we go back now, Nat, to that moment um, on the Top Deck cruise where Mm. I suppose a a lot of your life did change? Yeah. Can
1: you talk to us about that? Yeah. So I was having lots and lots of fun, (laughs) as you do on Top Deck, and we were sailing in Greece. And this just sounds so bougie and like a movie, but this is really what (laughs) happened. We were sailing in Greece and I woke up one morning and I looked down at my legs and I had 52 bruises. We counted them. They literally appeared overnight. And I remember asking my friend, I was like, did I sleepwalk? Like what happened? Like I wasn't drinking that night. So like I hadn't done like nothing that I could remember that, you know, that would explain the bruises. And I was like, and she was like, no, you you slept soundly. Like nothing happened at all. And I was like, okay. So I sent a photo of my legs to my dad and my mom and I was like, hey, like this has just happened and it's not a result of anything. And they were like, okay, well, you're due home in two weeks. We'll sort it out then. But in the back of my mind, I kind of had a gut feeling it had to do with the mole on my toe that I had since I was maybe like 13 or 14. Um, Previously, which we'd gotten checked, we'd asked all the doctors, but because of how large the mole was, They didn't want to remove it because it would require surgery and my mum was like oh like if you say it's fine we don't have to put her through all that and so we just got regular skin checks and that was the way to go but i felt it begin to change actually when i was overseas i used to i don't know if you guys remember these sandals but everyone had these windsor smith just simple black like sandals that everyone wore and it was in those sandals that i realized um it was starting to bother me, like my toe and the mole, it was rubbing against that sandal. And I was like, that's never happened before. So I started wrapping it, like it never really exposed it to the sun anyway, but I started wrapping it in a band aid just to be like extra precautious. But in my gut, I had a feeling it had to do with that because it started changing. And I was like, cause it's never rubbed against it before. I was like, maybe it's like starting to like, you know, evolve. So Yeah, that's what happened. I was in the back of my mind, I was nervous, but of course I'm 20 and I'm on a sailboat in Europe. So I just put it in the back of my mind and I was like, I'll deal with it when I get home. And pretty much as soon as I got home, my mom took me to the GP and 30 seconds in, she was like, you have to see a dermatologist. This is like too intense. And I was like, okay. And then from there it was oncologist to, um, from dermatologist to oncologist. And it just overnight. It was crazy. Like it, everything exploded and all because of a mold that we'd gotten checked a lot and we were told that it was okay. And yeah, and that's when my life changed forever. Yeah. It would have been, um,
2: I suppose so frightening as well, not being home. I think during that time that you started to feel, no, this is, I don't think this is something I can worry about in two weeks. Like that would have been really scary. I can only imagine. Yeah, it
1: was. It was quite frightening because naturally you gravitate towards having your parents as a support system. And I was with, they weren't strangers, but essentially they were a bunch of strangers. Like I didn't know everyone really well. And I only knew my friend Talia, who I was on the top deck tour with. So yeah, it was a moment of being like, oh crap. Like I've, like in my gut, I just knew that this wasn't right. And so I had to, to wait. Like I just had to wait two weeks before I could go home. And so I,
2: I would love to obviously talk about um, what you're currently going through now and, you know, what came up. I remember you posting in November last yeah. year. Um, but what about from that moment when, you know, it was first discovered um, up until now? What's your life been like?
1: It's been pretty crazy. Um, so I've actually been, I've relapsed twice or yeah twice so the initial diagnosis happened in 2014 and we had a major surgery to remove it from my lymph nodes and i was fine for four years all my scans came back clean everything was okay and it's the five-year mark where you're considered in remission and so i went away on exchange it was during that time that i swapped degrees and went to study journalism and i was like yep i'm going to be a writer everything was going to be okay and with that new university that I was at, I had the opportunity to go on exchange. So I went away, had the best time and came back for my monthly six months, for my, sorry, my bi-yearly six month scans. And um, that's when they found it. The second time is, was in my lungs. And it was heartbreaking. I was in the appointment on my own because here I am thinking I've been clear for four years. I don't need my parents to come with me anymore. It's fine. And the first thing that my oncologist said was like, oh, you're on your own. And that's, I knew straight away, like when she said that, I was like, oh shit, okay. So yeah, it was in my lungs. It was exactly the same DNA and cell makeup as what they'd found four years prior. And that's what happens with melanoma. It's a dormant cancer. So basically, no matter like, we did everything we thought we could, like getting all the lymph nodes, amputating my toe in 2014, but all it takes is one cell to just, you know, fly around the body and then just one day it wants to attach itself somewhere. And the thing is, is I've never felt sick. Like I would feel tired, like, but you'd think that's ordinary, but I didn't have any other symptoms in terms of like, you know, vomiting or anything like that. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty intense. So that was in 2018 and I immediately, they told me that because it's in an organ and in the lungs, surgery is not an option. And so I went and had to do what is called immunotherapy. And basically that's drugs that heighten and boost in your immune system to try and fight the cancer cells. And it worked for a year and a half. But then, yeah, unfortunately, last year, I was started having what we all thought was gastritis because of the million of medications that I'm on. Naturally, we thought, okay, so it's just my gut not happy with everything that I'm taking. But it got to a point where I was getting really ill. So they did an endoscopy and they went down and they had a look and, yeah, they confirmed that it actually was cancer. Um, it had established itself in my small intestine and actually they found it again in my bowel. So it made everything really complicated because I was on a therapy that we thought was working. But what can happen on that therapy is you kind of become immune to it, which is really, really annoying. So, yeah, that's what happened. I had to have a very, very scary surgery, which I really didn't know what the outcome was going to be. No one did. And I think I struggled a lot with that. Um Basically, the doctor was just like, look, I can't, there are four options that can happen. I don't know what's going to happen until I physically I'm inside you and I can see what's going on. And I was like, OK, so that was very, very, very um, tough for me, my boyfriend, my whole family to stomach because we didn't know. Well, no one knew what was going to happen. And of course, there was the option of him just opening me up looking at it and then closing me again, going, it's too far gone. Thankfully, it wasn't that. Thankfully, he was able to resect all the tumors. Um, There is still some residual melanoma left, um, but I'm on immunotherapy for that. At the moment, I've just completed like four really intense doses. Um, And then I just stay on a single agent for who knows how long. And then I'm due for some scans in about six to eight weeks to see what's going on. So, yeah, full on, <laughs> not, not, not your everyday story.
2: <laughs> no. So your current treatment is um, a bit of a waiting game, it seems. Yeah. Um, how do you, like, pull yourself through that? You seem like such a, I don't know, you seem to be able to find joy and you're such a beautiful um light uh, over and over social media and even chatting to you now, like, how do you find that when you, you know, in that waiting time? And and what is immunotherapy, I suppose, for anyone who um, hasn't known anyone who's gone through it? What's it like on on your body?
1: So we'll start with immunotherapy. So immunotherapy is under the umbrella of chemotherapy. It's not as crazy. So chemotherapy is like you lose your hair, you get really bad skin um, reactions and, all other kinds of side effects you do get side effects on immunotherapy but it's nowhere near as intense because it's so targeted it's turning on your immune cells and in a scientific kind of way melanoma is actually an immune based cancer well most of them are so this is how immunotherapy has become to be the treatment of choice for um, melanoma cancer um, the side effects for me, they are very long and they can range from absolutely anything. Um, in 2018, I got really bad to the point where I had to go to hospital because I got hepatitis in my liver. So basically, my immune system got to a point where it didn't know what was healthy and what was not. and It just started attacking itself. So that can happen and that's a very like high risk. Um, and so basically I have a little card that bypasses me through emergency being like, I'm on these meds, something's wrong. You need to treat me straight away. Um, but other side effects are quite manageable. Like I have at the moment, I'm dealing with really itchy skin. Um, it's just a normal side effect or it's just no matter what amount of moisturizer I put on, it's just crazy, crazy itchy. Cause the moisture has been drawn too much. Um, there's weight loss, there's weight gain, there's all types of steroids. If there's something wrong that you have to go on, um, there's like the unpleasant ones, like you can have constant diarrhea, which is something you actually need to be like really vigilant about, because if you have that too much, you actually do need to go to the hospital straight away because they need to fill you up with fluids and they need to check that you, um, don't have colitis. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of things. I have a massive magnet on my fridge that it's like, if any of them show up, like I can gauge what I can deal with because I've been going through it for about two years, but I do know if I reach a certain point where it's like, nah, I've just got to go to the hospital and let the experts do their thing. Um, But yeah, but as for, I guess, getting through it all, it took me a long time to, I guess, accept what was happening to me because it kind of just feels like it's happening at you and you kind of feel like it's like happened like an out of body kind of thing so i think once i really sat with the fact that okay it's happening to me and i accepted that i can't control everything and i think that's what's really really hard for cancer patients is that we get angry at ourselves because it's our own bodies but in truth you really can't control you can't even control your own body at the end of the day and so I think when I really accepted that and was like, you know, I gave it, I sat with myself and I was like, I'm going to do everything in my power to fight because I don't want to die at 20. I don't want to die at, 20, at 24. And I don't want to die at 26. Like I want to keep going. And I think it's that, but don't get me wrong. There are days where my mental health is down the toilet and that is completely normal. But I think the one thing that I've learned and I was just telling a friend last night is that setting myself little goals. So allowing myself to be upset for only a certain amount of time. So if I get a really bad result, I'm like, I'm really allowing myself a week. I'll give myself a week to be really upset, to cry whenever I want, to get angry, to get mad. But then after that week, I have to keep going. Because you can't set up camp in the bad feelings because then you won't ever get out. And so, yeah, that's just been my little way, I guess, to keep going. And... Yeah, just ploughing on. Wow, Nat, that is (laughs) so special that you've been
0: able to navigate it in that way, I think. I I can't even, I mean, listening to everything you've gone through, I I can't even imagine. And I know I've heard you speak before about how when people say you're strong, you kind of say, well, of course I'm strong. I have to be strong. But you really are I don't think you should take anything away from yourself in that because the the way that you're able to navigate that and come to a point where you can kind of say, I'm only going to be upset for a week when you're going through the hardest time of your life and probably harder than most people ever face during their whole life mm. is, is just incredible. Oh, thank you. <laughs> How is your immune system at the moment? Obviously, you're on the immunotherapy. Does it mean that
1: you have a better immune system or is it actually the opposite? It's kind of like it's half-half. So I was talking to my oncologist about this and it's like because obviously I asked with coronavirus. I was like, does that mean if I do get it, my body will fight it off faster? And he was like, to be honest, we don't know because we don't know for sure Like if immunotherapy is 100% just attacking like cancer cells or if it's attacking all the bad things inside your body. So my immune system at the moment, I would say it's, it's pretty good. Like it's definitely higher than everybody else's, but that doesn't mean that, for example, if I were to get sick, that like I couldn't get really, really ill. Like I haven't had a cold in a long time, which is kind of cool, but, um, I just don't want to risk it in the terms of everything else that's going on because it, we've had we've heard the stories of people being super healthy and unfortunately they've passed away and it's because this virus is real and it's like scary and it's full on. So, yeah, it's kind of like unknown at the moment. So I've been in isolation for something like 55 days. I don't know what it is. It's been crazy, but um, I'm just doing what I can. I guess to protect myself, like I haven't seen my parents, I haven't have seen like hardly any of my friends. Like as soon as I said to my mum and dad, I was like, guys, I think th- I need to take this seriously. So I'm just gonna self isolate. And of course they were on board. But um, yeah, it was, everyone's just like, they understand, especially for me that I'm high risk because we really don't know. You wrote a really, it was perfectly written. <laughs> Um, your
2: post on, you know, urging people to stay home during this time. Um, Can you explain, I suppose, why you think it's so important that people stay home?
1: I think staying home is extremely important at this time because for people like me, for your grandparents, for the newborn baby that your cousin just had, I think staying home is about them. It's not about you. You may be healthy and think you're invincible, but that's the thing with this virus. It, It can really affect anyone. Yes, the immunocompromised and the elderly are definitely more vulnerable, but that doesn't make us expendable. Everyone has a role to play in how we react to this pandemic, and in a way, it's our superpower, right? We're saving lives by staying home, which I think is extraordinary. Staying home is what will see us through, and most importantly, it will give us it will give our wonderful healthcare workers that fighting chance in combating this disease on the front line. To be honest, staying home isn't hard. It's the least we can do if we're able to do so. And I know there are so many who can't due to the nature of their work. And my heart really goes out to them and thanks them um, for keeping the cogs that our society depends on in motion. I know it really feels like our future is hung up on a hook. Like we can see it, but we can't touch it. And we're grieving for a time that we can be in control of. But the reality is it's just a moment in time. It really isn't forever. Staying home is our single most important responsibility. And like I said, it's our superpower. And it's what's needed from us right now to make a difference, to slow the spread, and most importantly, to save lives. Our health is our most prized possession. It really is a gift. I think we all tend to take that for granted until it is being threatened. So it's extremely essential to do everything in our power to protect it. And if we can protect other people's health along the way, then why shouldn't we? You really can't place any amount of value on human life. It's so, so, so precious and special, so yeah. I think that's why we should stay home I
0: wish I could well I hope as many people in the world listen to this as possible but I wish I could just bottle what you just said and send it out so it just randomly <laughs> appeared in everyone's house and they would understand um that was so beautifully put and uh, again to go back to how beautiful of a writer you are we, we found something on your Instagram yeah. and we hope it's okay yeah. that um that we read it out, Go ahead. I also hope (laughs) hope I do it justice (laughs) when I read it out, but it's about um, self-care and you wrote that self-care comes in many forms that we often underappreciate. The simplest thing, being able to ask ourselves what it is that we need in that moment. I know I'm not an authority on this, but I found myself in a place where I can offer advice since I'm used to being home during circumstances out of my control. It takes a toll on your mind. There's no denying it. But strangely, there is a life to be lived in the waiting. It just happens differently. I've spent years on the seesaw between what I should be doing versus what I can actually do. And let me tell you, it took me a long time to accept that all I can do is more than enough. Learning how to live differently so suddenly doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. But what does happen is a redefinition of freedom of what privilege is and we what we define as normal. That (laughs) that is so beautiful. Thank you. And we'd we'd love for you to to talk more on that. And I suppose what self-care means to you and and also
1: what is bringing you joy at the moment? Yeah, well, I think I think when especially because of my circumstances, I've had a lot of time to think about what self-care really is and It comes, I've really, like, For me, it comes down to, I guess, the essence of what it is that we, I guess, what we need. And we don't really talk to ourselves like we talk to friends. And I think with all that time that I've spent being home or just being in hospital beds, I've had a lot of one-on-one time with myself. So I've been able to really be like, what do you need, Natalie? Do you need seven hours of sleep? Do you need to go, like, I don't know, do a face mask because that brings you joy? Do you need to go out for a walk? And I think it's really just being honest with yourself because I feel like we often downplay our feelings. We downplay our anxiety or we feel ashamed to feel anxiety or we feel ashamed to feel certain ways because we always... I guess and this is what even what I do is I compare myself to other people and even though I have stage four cancer I still compare myself to other patients who have stage four cancer and I'm like I'm not in their shoes and I think if you can do that in a way that's kind of grounding and humbling and not in a you know a pissing contest kind of way (laughs) it's like no one's gonna (laughs) win but like acknowledge (laughs) that you have problems and that's completely fine and I think acknowledging your feelings because your feelings are valid And I think self-care is just really being in touch with what you need. It doesn't mean you need to copy what other people are doing. It doesn't mean like, you know, you need to be at a certain level. Self-care can simply just mean getting up in the morning and you had time or you had then felt like you felt like you could have a shower. Like for a long time, that's all I could do. And I got really frustrated with myself because that's all I could do. But then I realized, no, that's amazing because I'm making baby steps right? And I'm getting there. So I think, yeah, it's about acknowledging what you feel and trying really hard not to compare yourself to others, even though that's what society has conditioned us to do. And I think it's just really important to set that time aside for yourself as well. I think, and that's kind of what coronavirus is doing. It's kind of making people realise, well, what is it that's really important to me? What is it that I value? And so I don't want to say like, oh, it's a blessing because it's not like a pandemic is horrible, but it is in a way a little bit of a gift to turn around and be like, well, what is it in my life that is really important to me? That was
2: so beautiful. I <laughs> feel <Good. laughs> like I'm going to say that to, like, everything, every answer. You it's so amazing. Um, but, no, I, that's, that's awesome. Oh, Thank you so pleasure. much. And you've mentioned your partner and yeah. your mom and dad. Are they your
1: support system? Can you tell us a little bit about yeah, what they mean to you? of course. So my boyfriend, Alexander, is, like, my rock. He is literally my other half. Um, I'm very, very grateful that I found him when we were in Venice. Um, but yeah, no, he is, I guess he's the one person that I am my truest self with. And he's the one person that I share my fears with as well as my successes. Um, so yeah, he's just the one person, I guess. And we all deserve that. And I really hope that everyone in their life gets to find someone like this, that you are just wholly enamored with and that they love you for everything, even on your worst days. And yeah, he is the one person for me that is just, I can lean on without even having to ask. Um, And the same goes for my parents. I love them both to death um, and my brother. And I have a core set of people. It took me a long time to realize that, like we always think having a million friends looks really good on the outside, but you really don't need a million friends. You need five or six really close, whoever, whatever number you want but those core people and it took me a little while to find them, but I do have them now and I'm grateful that I do because like they're the people that I can, you know, if there's something were to happened at three o'clock in the morning, I def- they'd answer the phone. So yeah.
0: <laughs> can you tell us a little bit more about Alexander? I mean, from following you <laughs> on Instagram, I know that he should enter MasterChef <laughs> because he cooks the most amazing food, but um, when you talk about him, I think you glow and yeah. it, it's so beautiful. So what is what is he like? He
1: is, I always say this, that he's very German. It's just true. It's like, <laughs> it's what he is. It's where he's from. Um, he's, uh, he's very loving in his own way and he's the most caring and attentive person I think I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. He's very thoughtful um, and I guess... He's, he's my best friend. Like he makes me laugh with the dumbest dad jokes in the world. And I'm like, I still love you, even (laughs) though you said that. I'm like, okay, but he's just, he brings me so much joy. He's, um, with his cooking with just with him in general, he's just, I guess he's that person that I finally found that I know that I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. He's just, he's just, I don't know. He just, I love him to bits he's just, he's perfect. And, um, Yeah. I adore him endlessly. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah,
0: he's he seems awesome, and I want to try his cookies because oh, yeah. they look so good.
1: <laughs> don't worry, the chocolate chip ones. Become, oh yeah, we've we've been trying to work on an Instagram names so like because he wants to get it out there soon. So don't worry, to be to become cause, yeah. Coming soon. Don't worry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We love that. And something that you also work on, Nat, which is amazing, is Call Time on Melanoma, which is an incredible initiative. Can you please, I suppose, tell us and and the community about what it is, um, what Call Time on Melanoma is, what it means to you, um, and I suppose what you want to
1: share with the world about sun safety and how important it is? Yeah. So basically it all started um, because... I was interning for Lisa Platoni, who's the founder. And she heard of my second diagnosis. She was away having a baby. I was away in Venice. And when we both came back, uh, we met up and I told her what had happened to me. And she essentially, she just was really moved by it. And she felt like she had to do something. And I guess this is, testament to her because a lot of people in your life are like oh just tell me what you need like i'll be there for you call me whenever you want but lisa turned around and was like i have at my disposal these websites and these skills and she's like i'm going to do something like this and so essentially that's how call time of melanoma was born it was initially just a platform to share my story and it blew up like it really, really did. Mm-hmm. Um, it went viral, which was amazing. And I think it was kind of what the kickstart to, I guess, a conversation that really needed to be had around sun safety in Australia. So essentially, yeah, it. I think call time is what Australian needs, espe- especially for women, um, because we often mould ourselves like clay to fit into certain standards and particularly the tanning and tanning culture of Australia Hmm. was something that I guess Lisa and I felt very passionate about. And obviously considering my story, I don't meet the criteria of what melanoma, like I guess is like, I'm not fair skinned. I don't have light eyes. My parents come, um, I have Chilean and Italian heritage. I have an olive complexion. I didn't meet any of those um, criteria and yet I still got it. And I think that's when Lisa and I were like, well, Of course, we had the realisation that not everyone's invincible. No one is. You can get sick no matter what. So, yeah, I think that's what it was like. That's how it was born. And because in a way, a tan or sunbaking became, I guess, a symbol of status. And like when, especially when you were younger, like in your six, if you didn't come back from your six week school holidays tanned, everyone was like, well, what are you doing? What did you do for that six Mm. weeks? Like, and you were like, oh, okay. And like, I don't, and I think that's where we got it wrong. Like we shouldn't have aspired to that. And, and that's something that I think has stuck with especially young women is that they felt like they had to be like everybody else that they saw in magazines, they saw online. They had to em- like emulate their favorite celebrity. And don't get me wrong, having a fake tan is fantastic because it comes out of a bottle. That's great. But what I think is really important is that we educate people in the right way. Um, but I think that's what needed to be done is that we got told from a young age about sun safety. We all remember it, but it was quite put. It was like in a daggy way. And it was also surrounded by rules. And naturally, when you're 13, you're like, well, I'm going to do the opposite of that. So, (laughs) yeah, so I think call time is a platform that is there to change that. It's to share stories, to pioneer a new standard in sun safety. It's to reframe what sun safety is in a way that educates you properly, but also make it appealing and to make it, you know, that sun safety isn't daggy. Wearing sunscreen is cool, right? That's what we're trying to share. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and I think it's, it's kind of working because like, it's starting a conversation that I think Australia really, really needs to have. Um, unfortunately we do have the highest rates of melanoma in the world and it is the most common cancer between 15 and 39 year olds. And like, those are true facts and those are really scary facts. And I suppose that's where my story comes in because like I said, it's true. My melanoma, it wasn't caused by the sun. Um, and I was extremely just unlucky, but ninety percent, sorry, ninety five percent of melanomas are sun related, and so I think it's important that really we really understand that like we are in charge of our own health. And I've been battling this disease on and off, on and off for six years. Like I said, I don't meet that um criteria at all, and me having to relapse, it was just you know, it's been pretty shit. And I think it feels like it's my duty and it's Lisa's duty that. We've come together through this cause, and that we just want to educate people because some people just didn't know any like any better, and that's completely fine. But it's like it's just starting to have a conversation. Two days ago, I had a friend of mine message me, and she was just like, "You've completely changed how I think about the sun." And I was like, "That's amazing." She was like, "No, really. I used to be that girl that went into the sun with absolutely no sunscreen at twelve o'clock, went to the beach, and I would roast myself." And I was like, yeah, that like, of course, like that's very common. And she was just like, but I got, she said, I actually got really scared to read your captions because on Instagram, because I felt like I knew that you, that was targeted at me. Like that I knew that I was doing all the wrong things yet. I did it anyway. But then she said she woke up one morning and she goes, she realized that she wasn't invincible. She was like, I don't know what planet that I was, I was on that I was thinking that I could just do that and treat my skin that way. And So, yeah, I think that in itself is amazing that it's starting to change people's perceptions. And of course, I'm not saying that my circumstances will happen to everyone. My case is like the rarest of the rare. But the one thing that I think a lot of people need to realize is that melanoma is preventable if you follow all the sun safety practices. If you wear um, a hat, stay away from the bad things like tanning oils and tanning accelerators. Don't base yourself in the sun at 12 o'clock. Like, learn to read the UV index. Um, we've been told for so long that, you know, skin tanning is skin cells and trauma. That is true. And I think it all comes down to just being, you know, aware of what we can control and aware that we're not invincible and also just realising that, Our skin health is just as important as our overall health. So, and that's like, and it's in our control. And so I think it's really important that, you know, we take that on board. Melanoma is a preventable cancer. So if you do follow all the right things, you're doing a really good job. And of course there's getting your skin checked takes 10 minutes. It's not hard. It's like not scary or invasive. But, um, yeah, it's just doing the things that we are in charge of, uh, well not, yeah, sorry, no, that's right. Like that we're in charge of and that we're able to control. And of course, wear your SPF, like put it on your face every day. It's anti-aging. If I can't get you because of the sunburn, I'll get you because it keeps <laughs> you younger. It really does. <laughs> and yeah, I think with the right decisions, generally we can look after ourselves. And I think that's what call time's all about. It's just, educating you to make informed decisions about your skin health and yeah that's it that was a really long ramble but (laughs) there you go (laughs) no but it's 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 so
2: important that a lot of those facts are shared and it is It is all about educating. You know, I had a completely different relationship with the sun as I do now. You know, I grew up that Aussie kid that spent summers in the sun down the river. Obviously, I wore sunscreen when I was a kid. Mum would slap it on us. But I was always really olive toned and tanned. And I did have that misconception as a kid that because I tanned really easily and I never burnt that because I didn't burn. I can't get cancer. I genuinely had that thought in my mind growing up. Um, And I can relate to your friend in that even, you know, a couple of years ago, I was still that person that wanted to go and lie out in the sun and everything like that. And it has been things like call time on melanoma and everything that has actually woken me up and, and educated me on a lot of the facts. So I think it's so important. How can we support um, you can
1: give it a follow on Instagram. <laughs> um, there is a website for a brand new spanking spanking website coming very, very soon. Um, but yeah, I think just yeah, I think it's all about yeah, giving us a follow on Instagram. But I also just think it's taking into your like into account what you're able to do, and I think just becoming aware of skin health as something that you know because we often put it at the back of our minds, like going to the dentist, we just don't really think about it that much. But I think especially in summer, um, because, of course, we live in Australia, we're literally a sunburnt country that we just take it seriously. And it's so amazing, Steph, to hear that it's like, you know, it's changed your perceptions and it's like really educated you like that brings me so much joy.
0: <laughs> I think that you've actually changed. You've you've actually started the conversation since you launched Call Time, the the I suppose the reaction from society in general has it has just totally flipped yeah. and it's incredible that you have done that it is such a testament to you because as you said you were the five percent that were sun safe yeah you, you put a band-aid over it you wore sunscreen all the time even though you were olive skin and and it happened to you and so I think the fact that you've taken that and you want to help the other mm-hmm. 95% that it's preventable
1: just shows that you are you su- you are a superwoman. No, no. It's amazing. <laughs> no, thank you. Definitely. And also, like, couldn't do it without Lisa. Lisa is the mind and brains behind it. She is a force to be reckoned with, honestly. She's fantastic.
2: <laughs> I would love to ask you what your relationship
1: is like with gratitude. Do you practice Ooh, it? See, gratitude and me have a very interesting relationship. So it's kind of complex because um, Marie Andrew taught me about sustainable gratitude, and what that means is is to be grateful is to live in a state of attent- attentiveness, not in a state of bliss. And for someone who has cancer, it's very hard to be grateful all the time. But that's not to say that I'm not. So I guess it's I live a very fine line. Don't get me wrong. I am so grateful for every day that I open my eyes because that is a gift but I also am resentful of cancer and what it has done to my life. So I think I get, it's overwhelming to hold such a responsibility. I think of constantly feeling like I have to be grateful all the time because like I said, there are days when I'm really not. And I think that's completely fine, but, um, it's not natural to be in a state of happiness or being grateful 24 seven. Like that's not how the human condition was built. And so I think, what I've learned is that it's okay to be more than one emotion at once. And I think that's something that we don't get taught a lot is that you can be both happy and sad, that you can be both resentful and grateful. You can be both anything. You can be four emotions at once. And I think that that's really important to share. And of course, I live that tightrope of being grateful and being angry every day. But I think, At the end of the day it's just like i said it's not setting up camp in the negative as much so yeah i am grateful every day for my life i'm grateful that i get to wake up but of course as soon as i stand up and i have to put on my compression garment i'm reminded straight away of all my hardship and that's hard but that's normal because humanity we fluctuate we are on the like the vicissitudes of life we constantly go up and down so I think it's just being aware of that we can experience many emotions at once. But at the end of the day, always coming back to the fact that we're living and we're breathing and at that in that moment and in that time, that's like the greatest gift ever. And I know that's cheesy, but it genuinely is the
0: greatest gift. It's not cheesy. <laughs> it's um it's perfect. What are you most proud
1: of, Nat? Oh, I think I I think I'm most proud of my ability to share. I think that's something that, yeah, because I held my first diagnosis very close to my heart. I didn't really, I wasn't one, like I told people about it, but I didn't share it or openly speak about it. I think like I do now. And so I think that just my ability to want to, I guess, help others in a way, and how I can do that. So I'm proud of that. I think I feel like that's a little bit of a superpower is that, of course, it takes a lot to share. Like I was so nervous and it took a lot out of me when I shared my story when Call Time Melanoma launched. I was terrified. I was like, I am literally telling the world that I have stage four cancer. Like that is freaky. But I think I think what I, th- I had to like tell myself was that it's going to save someone's life. And call Timer melanoma has done that. It's saved lives. And I think that in itself is amazing. And every day I get goosebumps when I think about it, it's, we get women and men messaging us being like, it was because of you, it was because of Natalie's story that prompted me to go get a skin check. And then they found something and then they got it, they got, um, got it cut out and like it stopped there. And I was like, that's insane. So, yeah, I think it's my ability to share. <laughs> love
2: that. And finally, I would love to ask you what you, what advice you would give your younger self, maybe your 18-year-old oh, self. I
1: think I would say to my 18-year-old self is don't underestimate your inner strength. Um, it's You have it in you no matter what comes your way. And I think it would be constantly just to to love unconditionally and because love is such a powerful thing and I think it's just yeah and to listen to yourself like to really put yourself first and like I know it's important that we like have fantastic friendships and relationships but at the end of the day you do need to put yourself first and really listen to yourself so yeah that's what I tell my 18 year old self. (laughs)
2: <laughs> you're so oh. beautiful <laughs> thank you oh gosh thank you so no, much Nat. Nice it was pleasure. just so so nice to chat yeah, to you it was um, nice to finally talk you know, to you guys rather than not I know <laughs> <laughs> I know it is nice and um I just, yeah, thank you so much for bravely sharing so much of your journey and your story. And, again, I think it's incredible what you're doing and how much you're educating people, so I can't thank Thank you 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 enough for that. Thank you so much for having
1: me.
0: Thank
2: you, Nat. (laughs) Thank you. Well, we hope you guys enjoyed that chat as much as we did. She is such an angel to speak to, um, has such amazing things to say and to share and um, is such an incredible person. I remember just every time she answered something, I was sitting there like, God, you're, you're amazing. So very, very excited to have been able to share her story with you guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I hope you I hope you enjoyed it. We we both took so much from from that chat and of course we would think you would after listening to that you would love to follow her. So if you do, um, her Instagram is natalie fornasia and we'll put that in the show notes so you can make sure you find it. Um, and the other Instagram we would love you to follow is call time on melanoma. So that is all one word. Obviously, there's no spaces in Instagram <laughs> captions. Um, and we'll put that in the show notes as well. If you want to find us, you can find us at Keep It Cleaner, Steph Claire Smith, or Laura. on Instagram. And our website is www.keepitcleaner.com.au. We will be back next Wednesday. To you. Yeah, <laughs> we'll talk to you next Wednesday. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.